Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So today we're continuing our Star Wars series here at Connect uh, during this Advent season where we're, we're trying to take this, this very, very well-known story in our culture and put it in service to the gospel of Jesus, uh, to use it as an extended analogy for us to kind of let it sink down deep into our hearts and into our minds exactly what Christ has done for us. So last week we talked about the new hope that Christ's birth among us has brought to the universe. This week, the empire strikes back. So we're going to start by taking a closer look at at Psalm 2. Um, As I mentioned, there's this hugely important psalm uh, for so many reasons, and it's a psalm that really helps us kind of set the tone for our message today. So as we heard already, Psalm 2 introduces us to a king who is enthroned on Mount Zion, a king who who is the human representative of God's cosmic reign throughout the universe. Um, As I mentioned, we're pretty sure that this song was sung at at the coronation of kings. Um, Kind of picture our presidential inauguration, something kind of like that um, in Judah. And so so this song would be sung, uh, though not by Beyonce, I'm told. Uh, one of the commentaries mentioned it, it wasn't her, um, but it's true. More importantly, though, Psalm 2, um, in addition to being a coronation psalm for the kings of Judah, becomes a hugely important prophecy about Christ, and it's cited all over the place in, in the New Testament. Uh, it's, it's preached about in the book of Acts. Um, it talks about how this worldly authority and the, the kings of the earth set themselves against Yahweh and against his anointed. So God has established his king, who is also, by the way, his son, the psalm says. And God has given his son complete and absolute dominion over all things. And yet the powers of this world conspire against him, seeking to topple him from his throne and take his power for themselves. So the psalm serves as both a warning to the nations as well as a merciful invitation to them uh, to kiss the sun, as the psalm ends, to submit to the awesome and ultimately gracious authority of Christ. So today, as we look at how the empire strikes back, uh, we're going to examine some specific cases where certain authorities in Jesus' time failed to heed this warning and how God used these pretenders to the throne uh, to accomplish his good purposes anyway, and to establish the eternal reign of Jesus Christ, the true and only king. So much can be said about the empire in the Star Wars saga. They were brutal, heavy-handed, merciless. Their power was total and terrible. They destroyed entire planets of people if they tried to stand in the way of the empire's totalitarian rule. In many ways, the real-life Roman empire was just as brutal and heavy-handed as the empire in Star Wars. Now, they never destroyed an entire planet, but that's really only because there wasn't an enemy planet to destroy. But they did ruthlessly conquer most of this planet, and they would quash any hints of rebellion with violent and extreme prejudice. At the top of the Roman Empire sat Caesar. At the time of Christ's birth, it was Caesar Augustus. 
Now, Caesar's word was the final word. It's because of his decree that Mary and Joseph must take their trek down from Nazareth to Bethlehem, nine months pregnant or not. Everyone has to go to their family's town of origin just because Caesar says so, to register so that they can be taxed, so that they can send their money to Rome. So as far as anyone living during the the B.C. to A.D. changeover knows, Caesar is Lord. And in fact, that's a very popular political saying of the time. It's kind of like a pledge of allegiance in the Roman Empire. Caesar is Lord. But Rome is far away from Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And so in order to enact his rule throughout the empire, as Caesar sets up these series of local leaders who can rule on his behalf and implement his policies for him. And in Judea, the ruler is Herod. Now, he's known by history as Herod the Great because of his amazing building projects, but that's really about the only thing great about him. Uh, He was paranoid. He was pitiless. Herod ruled through sheer terror. People would tremble at his mere presence and In fact, as you read about him in history, he sounds an awful lot like this guy. Now, Darth Vader's on-screen presence is so ominous that it warrants its own theme song. Lord Vader, the fleet has moved out to light speed and we're preparing to... You have failed me for the last time, Admiral. Captain Piet? Yes, my lord. Make ready to land our troops beyond their energy field and deploy the fleet so that nothing gets off the system. You are in command now, Admiral Piet. Thank you, Lord Vader. Pretty serious. King Herod was kind of like a real-life Darth Vader. Um, I was looking back at that book, Killing Jesus, that we looked at for our midweek Lenten services this last year. It says that Herod was known to have ordered deaths by hanging, stoning, strangulation, fire, the sword, live animals, serpents, beating, and a type of public suicide in which the victims are forced to hurl themselves off tall buildings. Pretty much every method except forced choking, I think. And he probably would have used that if it was at his disposal. Herod even executed his own wife and sons because he suspected them of plotting against him. Caesar Augustus, back in Rome, uh, knew Herod's reputation. He was rumored to have openly commented, it's better to be Herod's pig than to be his son. And now at the age of 69, Herod has received word of a newborn king who may threaten his vice grip on Jerusalem and all of Judea, a new enemy. What is thy bidding, my master? There is a great disturbance in the force. I have felt it. We have a new enemy. The young rebel who destroyed the Death Star. Matthew's Gospel tells us that at this news of a newborn king, Herod and all of Jerusalem was deeply troubled. Because they knew what Herod was capable of. 
It makes no difference to him that this new enemy hasn't even learned to walk yet. He could destroy us. He's just a boy. Obi-Wan can no longer help him. The Force is strong with him. The son of Skywalker must not become a Jedi. So kind of like the Emperor here, uh, Herod's authority comes from the, the religious and political status quo. And he'll do everything within his considerable power to prevent this newborn king from upsetting it. So Herod sends a death squad to kill Jesus. It appears as if the kingdom of this new Messiah will be short-lived indeed. The new Savior is marked for death before he's even been potty trained. And Herod is so intent on ending his life that he's entirely unconcerned with the collateral damage, ordering the death of every male child under the age of two in Bethlehem. This tragic event will come to be known as the slaughter of the innocents, the slain baby boys becoming the first martyrs of the New Testament. Now, I found this picture online. It was kind of, it was kind of tough to find a picture that I felt I could show here. Um, I di- didn't have any qualms about showing Darth Vader force choking someone, apparently, but, but most, of, most of these paintings on this event are very graphic. It shows children being ripped away from their mothers as, as they're feeding them and, and being run through uh, by, a, by a soldier's sword. The slaughter of the innocents, it's these slain baby boys are, are martyrs, um, but Jesus escapes. In Star Wars, the rebels flee to Hoth when they're flushed out of their secret base, and uh, here Jesus and his parents flee to Egypt when Herod seeks his life. But Jesus won't stay there. He'll return to Jerusalem, to the very seat of Herod's power, Many years after Herod goes to his grave, a sick old man. And this time Jesus will not escape death, but embrace it. One of the key turning points in the movie, The Empire Strikes Back, is when Han Solo and the gang are betrayed and handed over to the Empire by Lando Calrissian, who ends up redeeming himself, which is good. Um, But one of the key turning points in human history is when Jesus is betrayed by Judas, who tries to redeem himself and fails. So after appearing before the high priest, Jesus is taken to Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate is the Roman governor in Jerusalem. And he asks him, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus answers, but my kingdom is not of this world. Little did Pilate know he was questioning the true and only king the anointed son of God. And we don't have time to rehearse the entire interrogation, but we know where it ends, don't we? With Pilate washing his hands of innocent blood and an innocent man nailed to a cross beneath his official charge, written in three different languages. King of the Jews. Interestingly enough, Herod the Great had been declared King of the Jews, that was his official title, conferred on him by the Roman Senate in 37 BC. Jesus is declared King of the Jews by the Roman governor at his crucifixion. In this gruesome coronation, as the true and only king is crowned with thorns and 
suspended in the sky on two wooden planks. It would seem that Pilate has succeeded where Herod failed, even though Pilate wasn't really willing to do so. The king will soon be dead. It looks as if the enemies of the Lord and his anointed have won. And yet there is one pretender to the throne we haven't mentioned yet, the one lurking in the background all along, the sworn enemy of God and of humanity from basically the beginning of time, the one the Bible calls the prince of this world. And for him, for Satan, the death of Jesus seems to be exactly the victory he's been striving for all along. Although at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Satan had been willing to go another route. If he could be turned, he would become a powerful ally. Yes, he would be a great asset. Can it be done? He will join us or die, Master. Satan had confronted Jesus in the desert with three temptations. Um, And then the second one, the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then worship me, it will all be yours. Now, we don't have any footage from this incident because uh, iPhones hadn't been invented yet, but I think it probably went a little bit like this. Join me, and together we can rule the galaxy as father and son. But Jesus would not join Satan, not for all the kingdoms and all the world. Perhaps you remember his response taken directly from the scriptures. Let's read this together. It is written... You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus was confronted with the choice to join the powers of darkness or die. And we know which path he took. Path to the cross. Jesus refuses to join the powers that be in a world overrun by sin. And so, unlike Luke Skywalker, he does die. But also, unlike Luke Skywalker, at least in the second movie... Jesus wins. On the cross, Jesus battles the greatest evil in all of creation to the death. His death, but also the death of every sin that you and I have ever committed. And ultimately the death and eternal destruction of Satan. So what does all of this mean for us? You know, Caesar and Herod and Pilate and especially Satan. Well, there are kind of three big takeaways that come to mind for me that I'd invite you to take home with you today, too. The first is that you must know your enemy. In the Star Wars films, uh, Luke comes to find out that, that Darth Vader answered to the Emperor. And in the end, Darth Vader was not his real enemy. The Emperor was. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In other words, it's not the powers and authorities of this world that are our ultimate enemy. Satan is our ultimate enemy. He may have those in this world who try to achieve what he wants for him, just like he tried to use the rulers in Jesus' day, but ultimately we don't fight against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against the government or earthly institutions because it is not an earthly battle 
but a spiritual one. So we need to remember that as we go about our lives and, and let our faith guide our views, and, and I'd say even our voting as we act as responsible citizens and are involved in our government. But in doing that, we need to remember kind of two things on either side. On the one hand, the government is not our ultimate enemy. On the other hand, the government is not our God either. Instead, we're called to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Jesus challenges earthly authorities, but he also commands us to submit to them. Now, this is a really difficult road for for the modern American Christian to navigate, I think. Uh, just as it has been for every Christian since the time of Christ. You know, the same Peter and Paul who wrote in Holy Scripture to honor and obey the emperor is the Peter and Paul who end up being killed by the emperor. And I don't think when that happened that they were really surprised by that or they wished they had said something differently. And that leads us to our second takeaway. Don't be surprised when saying and living, Jesus is Lord, is offensive to people around you or to the powers that be. When the early church started proclaiming Jesus is Lord, it was a direct affront to Caesar's absolute rule, to the idolatrous mantra of Caesar is Lord. And many in those days lost their lives because they refused to back away from declaring the lordship of Jesus even when Caesar demanded that they acknowledge his lordship even when Caesar really was Lord, by all appearances. You know, the reign of God is not fully evident now either, is it? The people of God suffer at the hands of the wicked. The anointed is besieged by enemies. Maybe in other places a little bit more than here, but I think here too. Jesus is Lord is a direct affront to our culture today, and increasingly it seems to our government. So what do we do? Do we take up arms and fight back? I'm not convinced that we should. Certainly not in every case. Rather, how about we live with the hope that we talked about last week, remembering that God's reign will fully and finally come soon. Something we'll be talking about next week. And let's not forget that the kingdom of Jesus is just as alive and well today as it ever has been, because Jesus, our crucified and resurrected King, is just as alive today as he ever has been. That leads us to our last takeaway, that Jesus has already brought about the unmasking and unmaking of the authorities. Not only will all defiant earthly powers come to an end, Jesus has already put an end to Satan's power over us, and he triumphed over him on the cross. Now, for we who are in Christ, even the most dread enemy of all, death itself has become a laughing stock, kind of like this. I can't breathe in this thing! Isn't that movie just the greatest? (laughs) Christ has unmasked the most dread enemies this world has to offer and has exposed them for the powerless puppet kings that they truly are. And now the true and only king has been crowned in glory and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The prophet Daniel foresaw this back in the 6th century B.C., and he wrote these words. 
And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Kind of reminds you of that Isaiah passage where it talks about the son of David receiving a kingdom without end. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people, Daniel says. It shall break in pieces all the other kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. Later in his book, Daniel writes, The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. I actually had to look that up again because I thought I had accidentally written forever too many times. But that's what Daniel says. The kingdom is ours forever, forever, and ever. Christ Jesus, the true and only king and the one and only God, holds the field forever and has given us the kingdom through his victory over our greatest enemies of all. The crazy thing is, of course, this anointed one, the only begotten son of God, won this victory and this kingdom, not the way the kings of the world earn victories, but by dying You know, the slaughter of the innocents foreshadowed the slaughter of the innocent one on the cross. They died for him that terrible night in Bethlehem. But he would die for them and for all of us on a dark afternoon outside Jerusalem. And then he rose from the grave so that those first martyrs and all of us may be raised from our graves to live with him in his kingdom in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. So let's end where we started with Psalm 2. The nations may rage, the peoples may plot, but it's all in vain. What does God do? God laughs. God laughs. <laughs> now we might feel that the world's ignorance and defiance of God is no laughing matter, particularly when it leads to suffering either for ourselves or, or for others who call in the name of Jesus. Uh, But Martin Luther wrote this. We may think that we would also laugh if only we were seated in such a high place in a fortress so fortified as God's. But these thoughts reveal our lack of faith. For all of us who believe in Christ are most truly in that same heaven in which the Lord dwells, if not in the flesh, nevertheless, in faith and in the word. So let's kiss the sun. Acknowledging his blood-bought lordship over our lives. Let's rejoice in and demonstrate how truly blessed are all who take refuge in him. In Jesus' name, amen. So next week, the Lord has come bringing hope to us. The empire has struck back, but has not won the victory. Christ has, and he has promised to return to share that victory with us completely. So uh, join us next week as we look at the return of the Jedi. Now may the peace of God which transcends all understanding guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.